words sung with that kind of passion just is so, so amazing. Because how can we approach the throne without passion? How can we even talk about Christmas without talking about your kingship? Without talking about your salvific work, without talking about your ministry that continues through all generations and forever. So God, we humble ourselves now to you. And as we just dig into your word for a few minutes, I pray, God, that we would be able to see an even fuller picture of what happened when you came to be with us, when you tabernacled with us. God, everything changed. But yet, in a way, nothing changed because you always been the king. And so now we can enter in to that kingdom. And we're so thankful for that, God. So just be with us now and help us to glean what you want us to glean, to make decisions that are important for all of eternity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Wow, that was... I had not heard that uh, song before. That really moved me. That was amazing. And to hear David sitting here singing it just added to the joy of that. Um, You know, Christmas Eve is a really special day. And um, I know for some of you the holidays are hard because you, you know, you look at the tree and there's somebody missing. And so I don't want to, like, paint this Hallmark picture, although I have talked to people this morning who have watched five Hallmark movies all in one day. So... Maybe it's impossible not to. Yeah, there's a yeah Hallmark. Wow. I don't. Okay. Wow. Okay. Love Hallmark. We're going to start having Hallmark playing in the lobby from now on. Yeah, I'm preaching here for two years. So I get Hallmark Hallmark channels when I get the applause and all the amens. <laughs> but it's 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 really a special it's a special day and. You know, hopefully many of you will have an opportunity to be with family and to have dinner and open presents, hopefully time around the word and explaining to your children the significance of this day. But there's there's so much happening on this particular day regarding the kingdom work of, of Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus came to save us from our sin, to to help us to move from darkness into light. And we're going to expand upon that tonight at three and five. And so I would just agree with what Neil said. Bring somebody with you tonight. It'll be a short gospel, but it'll be a meaningful gospel because the gospel is what changes lives. And so this morning, I want you to focus, though, on what happened when Jesus came because he inaugurated something brand new. He inaugurated a new kingdom that would never, ever be the same because it's a crazy kingdom in a way. And as we talk about this kingdom, we, we must understand that this kingdom looks completely different than anything of the world. It's a kingdom that demands loyalty, but it's a kingdom that is full of love. It is an eternal kingdom. And the beautiful thing about this kingdom is that we are subjects in it. And we are welcomed to reign in it through the work of Jesus Christ who has come to save us from our sin. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you, are you desirous of honoring this birth by being a part of this kingdom? 
Are you desirous of, of looking at this manger scene as something more, something magnificent, something eternal, something cosmic? And not let another Christmas slip by without really saying to yourself, how do I fit into this kingdom plan? Because to honor the birth of Christ means to step into his kingdom. But be warned, it's an unusual kingdom. It's unlike the world. The world, it, you know, we, we like prestige and, and money and power and all of this. The, not the kingdom of Jesus. No, it's humility and it's self-sacrifice. But the rewards are so worth it. So what, what I want to do this morning is offer and lead you in to the amazing upside-down kingdom of Jesus Christ. So please take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. And we're going to begin in verse 19. And if you want to grab that Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's page 811. You can also just hop on your Ridgewood app. All the notes are there. The scripture is there. You can give money while you're on there. No, I already talked about that. But here's the thing about the kingdom of Christ. It's a wholehearted endeavor. It's not a one foot in and one foot out kind of a proposition. Because there's so much at stake, very, very much at stake, eternity at stake, Jesus demands it all. And in order to help us understand what it's like to live in this kingdom or how to act in this kingdom, Jesus is going to use three metaphors that we can relate to. He's going to talk about treasure, he's going to talk about light, and he's going to talk about slavery. And then in the end, we're going to circle back to the key evidence that we're living in the kingdom. The one key thing that we can look at and say, yes, that is kingdom life, which is love. Love for God, love for each other. And so we begin this morning with the first metaphor that Jesus uses in this passage, which is treasure. And what Jesus is going to tell us is that the treasure that we seek describes the condition of our heart. What we are after gives us a glimpse into our soul and who we are as people. So look at verses 19 through 21 here in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus cuts to the quick here in the Sermon of the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. What Jesus is doing is he's talking about this kingdom that was inaugurated at his birth. And he's saying, this is what it looks like to live in my kingdom. Not the Pharisees' kingdom, not any other kingdom, my kingdom. And so here he comes, a baby in a manger. And the thing that really is amazing to me about this idea of putting our treasure in heaven is that there is no one more qualified to command this of us. Not only is he the king and he can command us to do anything he wants, but he has incredible credibility because he came from the throne room of heaven and landed in a manger. And so he's invested in eternity by his very actions. 
Now, we talk a lot about mangers at Christmas time. And so, you know, we drive by the nativity scenes. Nice manger, nice manger. It's, somehow it's always separated. You know, it's like Jesus is over here and you've got a couple of wise men over there who really weren't there yet. They're a year away, but they're still there at the nativity scene because we want to have that. But here's what a manger really is. In a first century home, normally, and this could have been like the inn, you'd have two stories. The family would live upstairs, and on the downstairs is where all the animals would live. That's the stable. And in one of the corners, or on a side wall, you would have a feeding trough. All, the, all of the animals would come and feed at this trough. you just pour tons of food in there. It must have been filthy, disgusting. And that's where the king of the universe was born. And so when he says to us, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and not on this earth. He has immense credibility to say that because he did that. Because he, he gave us his very being in order for us to have a chance to invest in eternity and to live forever. We see this, this scene really painted well in the book of Luke, Luke 2, 15 through 20. Familiar to you, but... It's, it's very, very interesting. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, lying in a feeding trough. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, this wise young woman, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The prophets had told them, the angels had told them that Christ had come. But what an unlikely place. And so when he says, my kingdom is about heavenly treasure and not earthly treasure, that means something. If you have some king in a castle on a throne and he's saying to you, listen, man, I'm going to live in opulence, but I want you to give everything to me. You're going to say, wait a minute, something's wrong with this picture. But when your king is lying in a feeding trough. And he's saying, you know, I set the example. Will you give all to me? You can kind of go, yeah, yeah. Matthew Henry is a theologian who lived late 17th, early 18th century. Still read widely today. Amazing man of God. At one point in his life, he was robbed of everything that he owned. But yet his kingdom-mindedness is amazing. Here's what he wrote. Lord, thank you that I have never been robbed before. That they took my money and spared my life. And that I was robbed and not I who robbed. In other words, Lord, thank you for your blessing. Even in the midst of all of my material possessions being taken away. This is what it means to live in the kingdom of Christ. This is why it's so upside down. Because this is not the way... The world functions. And if you look at verse 20 in chapter 6, we can see a positive 
put up against that negative. The negative is do not lay your treasures on earth. Here's the positive. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So don't put them here on earth, but I want you to do something. I want you to lay up all of your treasure in heaven. And we're saying to ourselves, wait a minute, heaven? You know, I I go to Wells Fargo. That's not heaven. Have you ever been there? Jesus is saying, this is where your treasure will be safe. And in this culture, it's really important to understand. I mean, you lived in a in a home and your walls were like mud brick. And your neighbor was a mud brick wall away from you. And thieves would dig through these walls and steal everything. Your, your, your belongings were not safe. Jesus is saying, there's a better way. Don't do that. Don't put everything here. Put everything with me. Invest in what I'm doing, because what I'm doing is saving people from sin for all of eternity. And I am offering you a chance to reign with me forever. And that's the amazing part of this whole story. I look at theologian Alan Barnes and and what he wrote about this. In heaven, nothing corrupts. Nothing terminates. No enemies plunder or destroy. To have treasure in heaven is to possess evidence that is purity and joy will be ours. It is to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. That's amazing. Not only do we have our treasure invested in heaven that will never be taken away, but we inherit the entire treasure of the king through adoption. In that day, if you were an adopted son, and you were the number one son, that adoption was good. You were inherited the kingdom. If you're an adopted son or daughter of Jesus, you inherit the kingdom. So why would we mess around with all of this earthly nonsense? We're not here very long. But to live in this upside-down kingdom, to honor the birth of Christ, we look at eternity. We live for what's next. We live for what's important. We live to reach people for Christ, to get them saved. Because if we believe what the Bible says, there is an urgency to that call. That's what Jesus is asking us to do in this crazy kingdom. First Peter says it really well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now that's something worth celebrating. This upside-down kingdom is not like the world at all. It's calling us to a different standard. It's calling us to think differently, to act differently, to put our priorities in a different place. It's funny, in Canada, you know, where, where we lived for a little while, and it is, is, is more hostile to Christianity than the U.S. The U.S. is catching up pretty well. But I remember sitting with a tax lady, and she kept looking at my giving statement. You know, I'm not, I'm not rich. I give millions of dollars. Hundreds of thousands, maybe, but not millions. Um, she kept looking at it going, like, what, what, what? She was really puzzled. Like, what, what's this? Why are you giving so much money to the 
to this church. And I just said, well, it's, you know, I'm a Christian. So we do because we care about the kingdom. And so we're asked to, to live and think differently. Now, one thing I do want to say is it doesn't mean if you have things, it's wrong. It doesn't mean if you possess things that there's something wrong with you. Actually, that's a huge gift. Some of you have the gift of giving, and it's amazing to watch you because you're generous and you love to give to the kingdom and help others. And praise God for that. But what Jesus is saying is when, that, when those things become the love of your heart, when you, when you tip over into guarding those possessions, then you have an idol on your hands. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us the love of money is the source of all kinds of evil, not the money itself. Love of money. So Jesus is saying, if you want to live in my kingdom, great. But you have to think differently. And I'm going to use treasure as a metaphor. But I'm telling you right now, in this culture, this is really difficult to do. But I wonder if it was any easier in Jesus' day. We just have different things that we want. Maybe they wanted like a mule or something. I don't know. We want an iPhone. And it doesn't matter if our iPhone's fine. And I know I'm going to sound like one of my parents when I say this, but, you know, my iPhone's working just fine. I'll just keep it for the rest of my life. You know, and that's what my, my dad always said. If it's not broken, just keep using it, which probably isn't going to work in five years because my phone will get turned off by some, you know, some, some iPhone guy. But here's the thing. We want an iPhone whether we need it or not. So, new iPhone, I want it. We want the cars that we see on television, whether we really need that car or not, because they look really cool. We want the homes that we that really don't need, but we think it would be great to have. And we want the coolest clothes. We want financial security. We want it all at our fingertips, and we're willing to pay for it right now, whether we have the money or not. Jesus is saying, that's idol worship. That's not my kingdom. My kingdom doesn't operate that way. In my kingdom, the things of my kingdom comes first, and then you put your treasure in other things. And, and there's a really convicting end to this little portion, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to find out whether you're kingdom living, you want to find out if you're honoring the birth of Christ, you want to find out what you're all about, then follow the money. What are you spending it on? Do you work harder to earn money for, to line your pockets than you do to help others or, or, or feed the kingdom? Then we all have to ask that question, and we don't like the answer, and I'm right with you. I don't like, the, I don't like any of this stuff. Because I repent often regarding my desires that do not match the kingdom of Christ. So we honor the king by investing in the kingdom. Now he uses a second metaphor, another one that's familiar, and you know it. It's light. And here's what he says. Light shines from a committed follower of Jesus. If you are a committed follower of Christ, if you're living in the kingdom you are going to be lit up. Not alcohol lit up, but lit up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what 22 and 23 say to us. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is he talking about? (laughs) There are two ways to interpret this. The first is that it's an inward light. The eye is the lamp of the body. So it's this idea of shaping our belief system. And so our eyes must be good. We must be tuned into the right things in order to feed the inside because this idea of your whole body is the Jewish expression of you. So if your eyes are bad, if you're focusing on the wrong things, then the whole inside of you is going to be focused on the wrong things. You'll be full of darkness. And then the other way to interpret this, probably both, is that this light is an outward focus. It enables us to see through darkness. So picture yourself in a dark room. You know how it is? And maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and everything seems kind of foggy and you can't really see well, but you turn a light on and everything becomes blaringly clear. That's what the gospel does. That's what being in this kingdom does for you. And it also enables you to shine a light to others. Here in this book, Matthew 5.14, Jesus says you are the light of the world. And so it all comes by living in the kingdom. And there's no place in the kingdom if we aren't willing to let us be shaped, or let ourselves be shaped by it. And here at Ridgewood, we want to be full of light. We not only want to be full of light because we want to reach our community and bring people to, to faith in Christ. We want to be full of light so that we can develop into a community that loves each other, that lives by these kingdom values. We want to be a community that is saying to others, listen, you can follow our example. If you come here, you can be healed. You, we, we can introduce you to Jesus. We can, we can help you find a new life. And so I'm asking you this morning to consider, will you walk into the kingdom of Christ for the first time? Will you say, yes, I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Yes, I believe that he can offer me eternal life and that he atoned for my sin, that he made me right before God. He justified me because he paid for that sin. Then welcome to the kingdom. Not only is your treasure safe, you're going to reign forever with Jesus. That's not a bad deal. But I'm also calling you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, and you're saying to yourself right now, man, I'm sick of this treadmill I'm on. I'm sick of trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm, I'm sick of all this bitterness and rage inside of me. I'm sick of coming to Christmas and hating it. I'm just sick of this whole thing. I'm calling you to a new life. Because Jesus is in the business of transformation. And I see people around here. Some days I have the best job in the world because I can see people being transformed before my very eyes. And only Christ can do that. And so I'm calling you to this kingdom. But you have to be focused on the kingdom so that your light can shine and that you can be a light from inside. Otherwise, you're going to seek the wrong things. And as a church, it's important for us to move in this direction as well. And so in this upside-down kingdom of Christ, there's two rules so far. First rule, put your treasure in heaven. Second rule, fix your eyes on eternity so that your light will shine. And then thirdly, one cannot serve two 
masters. Now, it's easy to see this is not an easy kingdom to live in, is it? But nothing really spectacular ever comes through easy. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, Jesus seems to spend a lot of time talking about money and treasure. Now, you have to understand the culture that we're in here. The culture is, in Jesus' day, slavery was alive and well. When we think of slaves and masters, we think of employees and bosses. But in Jesus' day, they would have thought of slavery. Now, it wasn't the same kind of slavery that we had here in the U.S. back in the 1800s. But it was slavery nonetheless. But here's what made it different. In the Jewish culture, every seven years you had a chance to opt out. It's like trying to get out of a cell phone contract, you know. Every seven years you can try to do that. Good luck. But in in the Jewish world, you could opt out and you could choose a new master. Or you could stay with the one you had. But if you did, then that's an exclusive decision. You can't have it both ways. You choose your master. And so what Jesus is saying is, you can't work it both ways. You have to choose. It's either God or money. Money or God. And I fear in America today that we have chosen money and possessions. Is that honoring the king? What do we really need? What does it look like to live in his kingdom financially? These are hard questions. But you can't serve God in money. John Calvin said that if we do choose money, that we are alienated from God and have abandoned the service of God. For covetousness makes us slaves of the devil. That's not kingdom living. Now, if you look at the wording here, it's really interesting because the word translated money is translated in some versions as mammon. Originally, the word meant something to which you put confidence in. Eventually, the word came to refer to money. But the point here is, what do you put your confidence in other than Christ? Possessions, how people see you, your security... What do you put your confidence in other than Christ? These are hard questions, but you see, that's what I'm calling you to this. It's an upside down kingdom. It doesn't make any worldly sense. That's why when you go to your office and you start talking this way, people look at you like, what's wrong with Joe there? Because it doesn't make any sense to them. But it makes perfect sense if you're a follower of Christ, because you are so enamored with Jesus and you are so focused on eternity falls in line and makes perfect sense. But it's not easy to do. Thankfully, Jesus said, I will be with you till the end of the age. So we don't have to do it ourselves. This isn't a lone game. You know, we're not running the race by ourselves. We have all of us together. We have Jesus empowering us. And that's what we need to do at Ridgewood. We need to have our, our, our eyes trained 
toward eternity. And when we invest wisely, our light will turn on. We'll be self-sacrificing. Our investments will be in the right place. We'll have the right doctrine. We'll be sacrificing for each other. We will love each other well. We will be a safe place where people, the people can come and they can be healed here rather than judged. And we'll make kingdom-minded decisions. And you know what? We'll get past our preferences and we'll do what's best to get people saved and further the kingdom. That's if our church lives in this upside-down kingdom. But there's one other evidence, and I want to circle there now, because it is an amazing testament to whether we are in this thing or not. And we've talked about treasure, we've talked about light, we've talked about slavery. But there's one thing, the clinching evidence, the key evidence of our devotion is love. Love is the ultimate evidence of our devotion to the king. Still in the book of Matthew, Matthew 23 or 22, 36 through 39. Teacher. This is a this is a a scribe of some thirties. He's flagging down Jesus. Hey, hey, you probably didn't call him you. That's what everybody calls me. Hey, you. All right. Teacher. Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Oh, by the way, a second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This isn't our evangelical list. We, we, we have things like on our list, we go uh, church attendance, scripture memory, number of souls won, upright living, number of Sunday school classes taught. They're all good, but that's not what Jesus says is the clutching evidence of kingdom living. It's love. Love for God. Love for each other. And you see, in order to understand that love, we go right back to the manger scene again. Because there was no more typified love than when Jesus landed in a trough and said, I'm going to come and I'm going to save you. I'm going to come from my throne room in heaven. I'm going to, to put a fracture on the cross between myself, my Father, and the Holy Spirit. We've lived together for eons of eternity. And I'm going to fracture that for a moment because I'm going to carry your sin. And that is love. And so this upside-down kingdom does not function without love. What evangelicalism has lost sight of is that it's not about outward behavior as much as it's about loving people. Because when you love people, your message will resonate with them. It's not that we are not to be bold and courageous. We are. But if it doesn't come with love, we're just a bunch of people hammering people with the Bible. We want to love them into the kingdom And so I want to, again, extend this invitation for you to come into the kingdom of Christ. Sure, it's unpredictable. Sure, you have to give up some things. But for me, I guess I'm willing to give it a go because I understand I'm not going to be here that much longer. And I personally, when I think about reigning with Christ, 
when I think about eternity next to Jesus in a kingdom that I can't even imagine, I get excited about that. And it motivates me to want to tell other people. It motivates me to want to, like, let's get the troops together. Let's go get them. And so if you're wondering how you can make these decisions, just let me give you one bit of homework for the holiday season. The holiday season is the worst time of year for personal devotions or spending time with God, isn't it? Because you're totally out of your routine. So you've had, you know, the night before you're eating peppermint ice cream at midnight. You know, you get to bed, you wake up at like 9.30 in the morning. Oh, i got to go pray and there's five kids on you, you know, and so it's over. And then you're already in the eggnog by noon. So it's hard. But here's what I would ask you to do is take, just take 15 minutes each day. Carve it out. Say, you know what, I'm going to go to the garage. I'm going I'm to get up earlier than everybody else. I'm going to pray in the middle of the night if I have to. And I'm going to examine my kingdom priorities. And I'm going to say, God, I want to be in your kingdom. Will you show me how? And then here's another way to do it. Every time you see a church steeple, a nativity scene, every time you see even a Christmas tree, you think that's a symbol. That's a way to remember that my Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, landed in a trough in order to save me. So I most certainly am honored, privileged, and humbled to be a part of his crazy upside-down kingdom. Let's pray. God, your kingdom is so hard to understand, but yet so simple and beautiful. And I know, God, that there is salvation there, there is transformation there, there is hope there, but in the way is this world with all its offerings and all its pleasure and all of its demands and busyness, even in the Christmas season. You know, God, we just want to put that aside and we want to come to you and spend some time with you and, and, and understand the kingdom that you brought with you. This is why you came. You came to inaugurate something better. And so, God, would you please... Continue to call us into your kingdom? Will you call us as a church into your kingdom? Will you help Ridgewood Church to be upside down crazy in love with you? Will you will you cause us to love each other so much that everything we do speaks of sacrificing for another person? Will you open a gateway to the lost? And so that we have a regular influx of people that are desperately seeking you and we know what to do with them because we're a part of this new kingdom? It's a tall order. But if we don't ask, now we're asking, will you do this? Will you make today, the next three services, will you make it a day of salvation? A day of change? A day of transformation? Will you make it a day of clarity? Will you make it a day of hope? Will you make it a day of submission to the king? God, we are subjects in your kingdom. We're honored to be in your kingdom. We love you and praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand if you're able?